Wow, he said to me, you're still operating on all cylinders. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I talk with fascinating, talented, and inspiring guests who reflect on the adventures and challenges of aging and who are living their lives with vibrance and purpose. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist, writer, and fellow Zestful Ager. I want to invite you to my brand new free webinar, Zestful Aging, Here's How You Do It. Many of my clients tell me that they're stretched too thin with too many demands upon them. They are just worn out. In my brand new webinar, I teach simple and sensible habits that will significantly improve your life now and help you age with vibrance and resilience. But it's important to start now. Don't wait until your body's distress signals go from a whisper to a scream. If you follow me at all, you know I'm not about restrictive diets or boot camps. I believe life can be challenging enough. Let's appreciate our bodies and minds for the miraculous systems they are and take the time to take care of ourselves. Self-care pays big dividends now and in the future. And being well ourselves is the only way we can help those we love. And if you sign up now, I will send you my super zestful aging checklist, which I designed so you have clear guidelines right at your fingertips. The webinar is free. You can sign up at NicoleChristina.com. And as always, I appreciate your feedback. Well, I have my Jack Russell Terrier Sparky right beside me and my coffee in my hand. So let's begin. Joan Moran is a former actress, theater, and film producer, screenwriter, and author turned yoga teacher who knows it is possible to age gracefully, find an authentic voice, pursue a passion or two, and discover a spiritual balance, all while living with joy and positive energy. In her memoir, 60 Sex and Tango, Confessions of a Beatnik Boomer, Joan shows how she found the courage to keep moving forward during her 60s, with change being a constant companion. She also blogs for the Huffington Post and 60 and Me. Welcome, Joan. Thank you so much, Nicole. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Thank you. Could you talk about this notion of change as a constant companion? Well, I guess I was very fortunate when I was growing up because my parents uh, were in the, had an avocation, which was fixing up houses and then turning them over. This was quite innovative in its day in the, in the 60s. And we moved every two years. And I got used to moving, although I stayed at the same school, which I, we were very fortunate for. But I got used to change and the excitement of moving. At first, I was resistant to it. And then I saw how much fun it could be and how creative my mother made it. So I kind of have a background in 
being curious about places. We traveled also curious about places and curious about people. And I was again, fortunate because I was a gregarious person and mm -hmm. I was more, I wasn't internal. I was more external in my personality. And so I began to embrace change as a part of being curious and interested in life. And for some reason, I've never been afraid. Uh, I can remember deciding after 18 years in my apartment in LA, where I had lived in various places for 30 years, that it was time to go. And I was retiring, and this was at 71. And before I knew it, I had packed my 50 boxes and was in my car driving to Austin, Texas, having the time of my life driving. And so I think that the always the next, you turn a corner and it's a surprise and you embrace the surprise and then you find a way of working within the new situation. And that's exciting because it keeps you young, it keeps you present, uh, you don't hang on the past and you certainly don't become a collector and a hoarder of things, nostalgia. Uh, I like to stay present and uh, embrace the day and uh, every day is different. So that's a change every day. So your personality really meshes with this, this uh, mindfulness idea of staying in the present and mm -hmm. not being sucked back in the past. Mm -hmm. And I know that you teach mindfulness. So this all meshes together quite well. Uh, yes. Uh, when I took up yoga, I was, well, I was 52 when I started uh, taking yoga. Although I had dabbled in it in the 60s uh, and the 70s, the hippie, late 60s, the hippie times when the Beatles went to the Maharishi in India and all of that. Mm -hmm. And I started to uh, do some transcendental meditation and practice my own yoga, uh, but seriously took it up at 52 when I also took up Argentine tango and began this parallel journey. Uh, and of course, to dance a tango, you must be in the present at all times. Otherwise, you're going to screw up. Uh, and I started this journey. And by six, by 59, I said, oh, I'm going to chuck everything and, and learn how to be a t yoga teacher and take my yoga teacher training, which I did. And I practiced uh, yoga. Uh, and then several years later, I became a teacher and said, uh, uh, set out my path for teaching mindfulness and yoga for the next 12 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a glorious journey. I had the best time of my life in my 60s. And uh, besides dancing tango and hot-footing hot it off to Argentina every year, um, mm -hmm. you know, it was, it was terrific. And it doesn't sound like you have any problem traveling to Argentina by yourself. No, I, no not at all. And I continue to travel. Sometimes I travel alone. And I just came back from Central Europe where I traveled with a my best friends that it's a married couple and uh, we had a blast and uh, I, 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 we dropped each other off at a certain point and I went my way and they went theirs. It's very exciting and it's also very challenging. It keeps you, it keeps your mind active in terms of planning and plotting and staying, mm -hmm. you know, in an airport, it can be tremendously intimidating if you're in a European airport. And so I love the challenge of working it out. And mm -hmm. I learned, I taught myself not to panic. How? Can you, can you talk for a moment about that? Because I think our listeners would love to know some tools about how not to panic. It seems that at this age, 
there may be some things to panic about. Well, situational, right? Situational awareness, not losing track of where you are. Come out of an, let's say, I come out of an airport. I hate Heathrow, you know, in London. So I come out and I'm immediately uh, in a barrage of visual stimulation. Mm-hmm. You know, I might need water or I might need to find bus transportation to the hotel because I have to spend the night in order to get back the next morning to catch a plane home. And I just look at signs, read signs, stay present, ask people. I always ask people where, what, whatever. And um, and I can remember the first time I thought I was going to lose. I thought I was going to go insane and panic. But this is crazy. I arrived at the airport in Buenos Aires one day earlier than my flight. I was at the airport, was traveling, I think American Airlines, and I go up and I said, I don't understand why my ticket doesn't work. And she says, because you're here the wrong day. Oh, goodness. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. I said, is any seat on the plane? Not that I see, she said, because I didn't want to go back into town. I thought, mm-hmm. well, I'll just go home. So I stood there and I stood there and I stood there and the woman was looking and looking and she goes, I found a seat for you. <gasps> And I realized that patience, perseverance, okay, I could have gone back to town, but I stood there resiliently waiting for the right answer. Mm -hmm. And I put out positive vibes, and I think that there is nothing so terrible that could possibly happen. Mm. And so I don't panic, and I don't get fearful. Fears are the worst thing you can carry around. First of all, they're unfounded, the the what's going to happen to me scenario that you project. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very dangerous state to be in. Um, a lot of people are panicking right now in the world, imagining things are going to happen to them that are not going to happen to them because of unfounded fears. Mm-hmm. So when you travel and you get in that airport or when you're in a situation where you can't hail a cab or you don't know how to get home, then um, you just patiently figure it out mm-hmm. and and be aware. Like, like I would come out of a a place I danced tango in in Buenos Aires and I couldn't find a cab to get home. Not the greatest situation you want to be in, mm-hmm. in that city. Mm-hmm. And I would go back inside and I would ask somebody, how do you do it? And they would say, oh, I'm riding home. You can ride with me. See how it works out. What does it mean when you say, I give out positive vibes? What does that process look like? I refuse to go to the negative. I refuse to become a victim in that moment. Mm-hmm. I stay positive on the point. The point okay. is get, get me to where I'm supposed to get. Mm-hmm. And if you go down into the, into the negative, oh, woe is me, I'm the victim here, or it's someone else's fault, you go down a very negative path. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's very difficult to get out. That's when you panic. That's when you cry and you stand there and you go, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Mm, but you do mm-hmm. know what you're going to do if you keep your wits about you. Mm. Nothing is worse than panicking in the negative. So when you say keep your wits about you, would it be something like you're standing there and the person behind the counter is looking on the computer and as you're standing there, you're saying to yourself, relax, keep your wits about you. Is Mm -hmm. that the kind of thing it it looks like? Or do you have a mantra? You're breathing? Are you doing a yoga position? (laughs) What? (laughs) 
<laughs> little down dog on the uh, online. Anything? Anything else? I I stand very still. Uh-huh. I stand in my in my own presence. Mm. I try not to think of anything. It's sort of a standing meditation. You can go into many medit many meditations anytime you want. So I just I stand and watch, and I participate psychically with that person. Like even if I have to change money, and I really hate changing money, foreign currency. I, I don't understand it. I can't do the math. But I stand there patiently waiting for the person to do their job and trust in them that it will get done. Mm -hmm. Instead of, what am I going to do? And you know, and you start this, and then it panics the person that you're, you know, who's doing the work. Just be quiet, be silent, be mindful, and stay centered in your own body. It's hard. And are, to, it's hard are you to doing do. like? Are, yeah. Are you doing abdominal breathing um, to keep yourself centered? Yeah, are, I always breathe. I always yeah. breathe. Yeah, mm -hmm. breathing is is uh, everything because it does calm you down, and then your mind focuses on the breathing and not on the situation. Mm -hmm. Very. It's you know the the term self possessed comes to mind. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's that too. It's that mm -hmm. too. And I believe in it because, look, I'm a single woman. I have to negotiate the world on a level of single, right? And, and, and I, I learned how to do this by years of practice, uh, uh, raising kids. Um, I think being a producer actually helped me uh, put structure and context into my life. Because when you're a producer, you have a checklist. And and you can't, you're not afraid, you just move forward. You don't move backward, you move forward. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so I, I think the skills that I developed and watched my mother have, uh, have been incredible uh, assets for me going forward. And I, listen, I'm grateful for them every day. I heard you talk about your mom uh, producing a DVD for senior aerobics. Yeah. <laughs> so you had some kind of modeling oh, there for competence. Oh. oh, listen, she would. She's she's a builder. She built. She built. She built apartment buildings, condos, single family dwellings. She and my dad. I mean, this woman. This and she made her own clothes. She was an expert seamstress. She taught senior aerobics for years. Um, she's quite a woman. Wow. She died at 98. And, wow. Uh, you know, it was, she was a very, she was a great role model. How much of her life um, ha has influenced what you're doing in your life right now? Um, I guess you could say a lot, only we didn't have the same I mean, I was practicing. I was teaching yoga, and she was she was teaching aerobics. I guess it's kind of funny, parallel. Um, I when I retired from that job, I moved to Austin, and I have a son and two grandchildren there. Of course, now I help manage my, in a way, help manage my grandchildren's lives. But uh, when they call on me, but I um, I took up. Uh, writing, or Austin's a great writing uh, center. And although I was a blogger and, and a memoir writer, I didn't write fiction. And I thought that to, to, to be a really good writer, you have to learn how to write fiction. So that's what I'm working on now. And 
you know, she always worked on a project and I always worked on a project. Mm-hmm. Because that keeps you active and it keeps your brain going, you know, mm-hmm. especially writing. It, I've noticed it increases my vocabulary. Aha. Uh-huh. I'm still a yeah. bad, I'm still a bad speller, but it's not as bad. <laughs> yes. Uh, the other thing that I've heard you say that I, I think is so helpful uh, for, for us and, and for our listeners is this concept of doing the easy things first. And so not laying out this whole, you know, I'm going to do soul cycle every other day, then I'm only going to eat, you know, organic kale and mm-hmm. then, you know, sort of setting yourself up for like, nobody is going to be able to sustain that. Mm-hmm. Could you talk a little bit about this idea of doing easy things and what those easy things might be? Um, I learned in yoga, it's not something I made up, but I learned in yoga that we work from intention, not by goals. Intentions are immediate. Goals are way out there. Hardly can touch them, right? Or I, a goal like, I want to finish my, my novel on Cuba uh, by the end of August. Well, that's mm. ridiculous. I have no idea if I'm going to or not going to. But today, I'm going to continue reading this book on writing and get more information so that when I go back to writing, I will have a lot more resources at my disposal, period. Mm -hmm. But today I'm going to get up. This is my routine. And I'm going to be at the, at Barton Springs and swim my half a mile. And that's all I, that's all I know for that moment. That's what I feel like doing. Mm -hmm. I might, I might feel like doing a yoga, my yoga practice, but usually in summer, I just get out there really early and go into this freezing freezing water and swim a half a mile because it's so hot, it cools down my body for the day. So I just work by with small things. They're easy things. Um, and, and they're what I feel like doing. There are like, I listen to my body and I say, this is what I need today. Mm-hmm. And I don't get too far-fetched. Or if I say, okay, today's my dancing night, I'm going to go dance two-step, or I'm going to go dance tango. And I, I just make a note of that, that that will be my night activity. Mm-hmm. And, and that's pretty easy, but I don't create huge scenarios of things I, I will never be able to accomplish or do in a particular period of time. So mm-hmm. I use time a lot and I have great time management. Mm. And the time management would mean that every day you wake up and say, what's a, what's a reasonable plan? What's a pleasurable plan? What are the kinds of things that go into your time management? Um, well, first of all, I wake up and I'm grateful <laughs> that, mm. I got, that I got up. <laughs> and, uh, and then I, it's like, um, what is it? What do I feel like? Do I feel like just rolling out, getting in the car and, and going for a swim, coming back and having my coffee? These are not big things. These are just little things. But I mm-hmm. work from intuition and everything I do is joyful because it's what I choose to do. Mm-hmm. And maybe I don't want to, maybe I don't feel like, you know, cleaning my condo or my little tiny, teeny tiny condo. But maybe the next day I feel like swiffing the floor. You know, Mm -hmm. so it just depends on, I don't don't like to force anything. I just like to be with myself and see what's up, you know, 
Mm-hmm. And do you find you're able to accomplish some of the more tedious tasks? Like, for example, I don't know why, but emptying the dishwasher has just become this heinous task for me. It just <laughs> seems like, wait a minute, this is a circle. They, yeah. you know, didn't I just do this yesterday? And I, it, ha, I'm just wondering, how do you ever kind of get in the mood, or does it ever become joyful to do things that are tedious? How does that work? Because we all have to do some things that are boring and repetitive. Right, like laundry. Exactly. Um, I decide if I'm in the mood. Well, of course, with dishwasher, you have to empty it. But I mean, like with laundry, I say, well, is this a good day? Maybe it's cooler in the morning in Austin. Maybe I wake up to a cooler morning, and that would be a great time to do laundry. Because my I have to go to the laundry room, mm-hmm. and so that kind of then it makes it more pleasurable because I'm not I'm not doing this in the afternoon, especially when there's heat. And in, in, did you go through months of heat? Mm-hmm. You really have to be very particular about what time of day you do what, um, because you could be at the grocery store at which I hate at four o'clock in the afternoon, and it's just just killing you. The heat's mm-hmm. killing you. So I would do that in the morning after I swim. I just drop by the store. So that's, that's a, a South American, uh, also right. The whole idea of you you do your thing in the morning, then you rest and uh, mm-hmm. in the yeah in the afternoon because of the heat. Right. Most people stay inside. Like so, I write during you know the the hot the hours. But then there then it gets hot four five six o'clock, and sometimes I just take a dip in my condo pool. You know just cool me down, do, you know, do some breaststrokes, feel good, come back in, you know, maybe think about dinner or get ready to go out. So, um, and I make sure, this is one thing I do. I make sure that I have an active social life. Mm-hmm. And I put that, I put that as an important part of my week. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, then you become isolated. Mm-hmm. And since I'm almost going to be 75 in three months, I don't want to ever be in that cycle where I'm not, where I'm sitting in the house wondering what I'm supposed to do. I just keep developing a social calendar. Mm-hmm. So, Talk about how the logistics of that, because I have many clients who are at this age where they're saying, okay, you know, I'm not doing my full-time career anymore. I have some more freedom, but... um I don't know how to meet people. It's not as easy as uh, when I was in college, for example. Um, I think that everybody, whether they recognize it or not, has a passion in life. And one, the most important thing in life is to pursue your passions. Otherwise, life will never be any fun. That's one of my mantras. Mm-hmm. So if, for example, when I got, I knew some people in Austin, but it was a pretty new town. I visited my son there several times and I had some tango friends. But I joined the Austin Newcomers, which provides a terrific social calendar from cultural events to games to social hours to expats, happy hours. Um, And that is, if you can go out there and and everyone's totally friendly and you make a lot of friends and... um, you know, there's the month, there's your month of social, you know, so I go hiking with the group twice a month. Mm-hmm. So this is a very important part. Now the dancing, 
if if you want to meet some people, go take some salsa classes, mm-hmm. or take go to. I have a friend who went to square dancing, um, and then tried to learn two step and took lessons, and then you meet a lot of people. So you 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 have conversations, you go out to eat. Uh, so, I, and some days I don't want to do that. Some days I want to stay home. I want to uh-huh. watch. I want to binge on my Netflix. <laughs> you know, everybody. What has are the, you binging you know, <laughs> on? For ex- I'd love to hear what shows you like, Joan. Um, oh gosh, um, I I am a detective person. I like um, British crime. Mm. I'm just like an, uh, just enamored of Br- British crime stories. Um, so I've gone through tons of that, and um, I, I like a foreign um, foreign detective stuff too. You know, like it takes place in Sweden and or it takes place in um, Finland or you know just odd pieces. And um, you know, I'm rather eclectic in the rest of it. Like I watched um, Jessica Jones, which is a Marvel comic. Oh, I know. I know about it. She was one of the main characters in Breaking Bad. Yes, yes. So I I enjoyed that that particular series. And of course, we're going to come up upon House of Cards pretty soon. And we're going to (laughs) come up upon the last uh, Orange is the New Black pretty soon. Oh, so there, you know, and I look and I see um, I don't want to waste all of my my waking hours watching television. But I am very, very uh, particular about what I choose to watch, and if this is, and if it's not good, I just turned off something that I watched last season, which was Marcella. Uh, it was British crime detective, and I started to watch the second season, and I went, "No, this isn't for me. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see that. That's not interesting to me. It's too dark. Mm. It was way too dark." Do you know the one? Uh, it was a Netflix one, Sneaky Pete. Oh, you mean? Do you don't you mean Peaky Blinders? No. No, is Sneaky Pete by the producers of uh, Breaking Bad? No, I I thought I I watch Better Call Saul. Uh, that is... that's another one. This yeah. one is so fascinating, and I, it, it, you know, when I was watching it, I was just constantly in awe of the quality of the filmmaking. It it, it was mind blowingly uh, <laughs> well okay. done. Um, it. But it is it is dark. It's very dark. Well, but I, was, I think you would enjoy it. I was enamored of a, a piece called Peaky Blinders, and it was about gangs in Ireland in the uh, the nineteen twenties, mm. and that was fabulous. And there's also another one called. Babylon Berlin hmm. and it takes place in Berlin right before uh, Hitler comes to power hmm. and it's absolutely fabulous detective mm-hmm. again detective so yeah there are a lot of really I'm gonna watch I'm gonna look for sneaky Pete and it's it's fun and it's fun to exchange you know shows <laughs> with people and uh, mm-hmm. you know this time of life this time of life is supposed to be fun and joyful and I I think that we're as creative people. You can create a really cool life, as, as based on your passions and your interests. And um, you know, people go to book clubs. That's extremely popular. Mm-hmm. Because I'm a writer, I can never get. It takes me forever to get through a book because <laughs> I'm always writing, and it's not fair because I don't get to enjoy it. But you know, um, I just went to an agents and editors conference in Austin. Uh, to to learn more about the the new 
arena that I am entering. So, um, you know, it's like going back to school. It's fabulous. What? How do you come up with your ideas for your pieces, for example, your blogs and Huffington Post and, and even 60 and me. I'm also, um, I think, you know, a blogger for 60 and me. Uh-huh. And sometimes I wonder about, am I going to have another idea to to write about? Is that something that that you grapple with? Or do you have another process? <clears throat> That's a really good question, Nicole. I'm grappling with something right now. I have been blogging for, I guess I started when I was 64. I started to write my memoir uh, at 64. And I then I just, I took a blogging course and I started to blog for lots of places. And I've been blogging ever since. And I have a book of blogs out called I'm the Boss of Me, Stay, mm-hmm. Stay Sexy, Smart, and Strong at Any Age. And I put a compilation of my favorite blogs into this book. And... I have been blogging for 60 and me and I have been looking at at all the blogs that I just as like 300 blogs and I've been wondering if I have anything more to say. Mm-hmm. At, at at and I'm I'm past I'm in another age right now which is kind of interesting and the age is uh not just the number the chronology uh, but it's what I, what I want to even f- focus more on, in other words, um, really going full bore into this editing of my novel about Cuba and, and not worrying about writing a blog anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and the question is, do I have anything more to say? Haven't I said it all? <laughs> Isn't this boring? <laughs> My my latest blog. I'm, I'm boring myself here. Yes. And and my latest blog was about um, what topics of conversation people are drawn to as they age. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Death, dying, mem- memorial services. I go to someone's house and they start telling me about people who are sick. I don't know them. And they go into this, either it's, either it's either people who are dying, sick, or dead, or the weather, or, oh, I know, I know. So, I mean, I'm interested in travel. If somebody wants to tell me about their trip, I'm always interested in that. But I mean, I keep thinking, we've got to be talking about something else now. We have to be talking about, people don't want to get involved in the politics anymore because it's too fraught with, um, with conflict. And so I'm wondering, you know, what do, what do I have to say now? Where Where is it coming from? I'm way past 60, in the 60s, and I'm, I'm not sure I have anything more to say. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then the fear of you don't want to fall into the cliches, which is, oh, here's how we reinvent ourselves. And, um, you know, there's certain very uh, standard kinds of themes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that are running through this, you know, post-midlife um, realm. And I think they can get a little little old. I I'm a, a, a person who lives light since moving. You know, I don't carry a lot of stuff with me. I don't hang on to things. I keep my favorites with me. 
I might add a few new things. And I like living in a light space. And I don't bother with a lot of things that I bothered with when I was in my 60s. They've sort of dropped off. And so I'm in this kind of, I feel no man's land or no woman's land mm. of uh, making really small decisions and keeping my life simple. And, um, and so I don't know if I have anything more to say to the, to, to the larger world, you know, to the larger world of women who are going through their 60s. Well, I'm wondering if the blogs are feeling like the, the clutter almost that you talk about ridding yourself of as you get older that, oh yeah, I used to have that hanging around and now I want to travel lighter, which means just focusing on these one or two things and mm -hmm. maybe there's not room for coming up with new blogs. Well, I'll tell you, that is a very perceptive remark you just made. Uh, a good metaphor, um, because I don't blog for anyone else anymore. The Huffington Post changed their, uh, they, don't, they don't get guest blogs anymore. That ended when it was bought from Arianna Huffington. Mm. So there isn't, there, there's not that opportunity. I don't blog on, on um, yoga anymore or spirituality, which I did for years. Uh, and, and 16 Me was the only website that I blogged for because I found it fun and interesting and putting some ideas there. And unless I get a very creative idea, like I thought it was creative, like you go into a party and the first thing you talk to your friend on is, oh, we just came back from memorial service for Fred. Mm. <laughs> oh gosh, you should have been there. You know, they said a full mass and it was just like the most, and I'm like, really? Re is that where we're, o that's, our, that's our opening act? And, and you know, m maybe like, uh, we could have like, uh, how's your plans for your trip coming along? You know, <laughs> maybe we could have done that one. And so I, and I don't mean to be, you know, nasty or anything, no, but I, no, I, but I don't want to talk about dying. I don't want to yeah. talk about death. We're getting there, but you know, I don't have to dwell on it. And I don't dwell, I don't dwell on the people who, the, who have left my life, my, my loved ones who have left my life. I carry them with me in my heart, but I don't talk about them. You know, they're with me every day, but I, you know, they're mine. They're special. Mm. You know, and so I have, and we're on this earth as a transition. You know, we're all headed toward one place. You know, we shouldn't be surprised when it happens. I don't, mm. I don't like accidents and I don't like early deaths with people. And I think that some people have, you know, as my mother would say, rotten luck. She used to say, that's rotten luck. And, and it is rotten luck when you see somebody in their 70s passing away, you know, mm. who still have as many years to contribute to society. Mm -hmm. But um, we know that. You know, but mm. if you don't know the person in context that, that the other person's talking about, it's hard to have empathy, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I would rather have empathy on it uh, about something that I know about. But I don't know, maybe that's being too harsh and maybe that's being 75. I don't know yet. Well, Tom, how about we talk a little bit about what it's like to be a grandparent? Oh, I've, I've been a grandparent for many, many years. I have five grandchildren. Mm -hmm. And the oldest one is 13. And so I, I have, finally have a teen. Uh, and I have three of, the, of my boys living in another city, three of my grandchildren, two living in Austin. And uh, I have had the most, uh, during my 60s, I became a grandmother. So that was all happening too. And I would go to Vegas every 
four weeks and and um when i lived in la and i was always there and i participated in uh, a, a lot of things that that my grandchildren are doing and now what's interesting here's the change now they're getting older you know they go oh hi grand you know they're you're, you're visiting oh hi hi and you get a hug and that's it mm-hmm. i'm going over to my friend's house mm-hmm. you know they so, have their own lives yeah there you see you see the development of their own lives and you're very happy that they're independent smart creative kids and full of uh, athletic ability and so i'm extremely excited to see them grow but i don't have a whole heck of a lot to do with it you know i mm-hmm. i was caretaker i was i was babysitter i was um i i was hanging around when it when, when that meant something but it you know they get older my girlfriend that i'm staying with right now she has two grandchildren here uh, two boys that are once in high school i think both of them are in high school and uh, i watched her be a grandmother to them as they were younger and now they just you know uh, they live in the neighborhood, so it's lucky for her. But you, you see the difference. You see how it, it's different for her now too. So we've talked about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That you know that might be a that might be a blog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, because I don't I don't remember reading about that experience for people. Certainly, they yeah. will often say how much they love being a grandparent. But I haven't heard this other part, which is. And then it changes. Oh boy, does it ever! I mean, I just mm-hmm. went to my oldest grandson's bar mitzvah in um, in February, and watched him play guitar and and have a band, and you know, it it was like, oh, he was my first, and there he mm-hmm. is, and one more year he'll be in high school. Mm-hmm. So you know, you you want the best to to, to launch them as independent young people. And I I think that's, uh, I think that's super important. So I support them psychically and, you know, uh, not as much physically as I once did, Mm -hmm. but I call them, you know, on their, on their phones and try to get hold of them and try to talk to them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I, that's important to keep them around for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you ever, do you have any plans to go back to acting? No, uh, my no. My favorite story is that I spent 25 years in the theater. I was uh, I was an actress, but I was a teacher. I taught at uh, University of Nevada, Las Vegas for years, and uh, I was a high school teacher first. And then I opened up my own theater uh, and ran a professional year-round theater for five years, and uh, in Las Vegas. And then my marriage fell apart, and I saw a recession coming, and I said, you know, I gotta get out of here. So I went to San Diego with my two kids and I applied my trade as an actress for two years. At the end of that two years, I was in a play at the Old Globe and I was, do you remember Marion Ross from uh, Happy Days? Yes. So Marion was in the play along with, it was all a play of mostly women. And um, it was in the eighties. It was about 84 and she's, and I'm standing backstage and I said, gosh, I'm tired of waiting for my cue. feels like I need to live my life instead of waiting for my cue. Mm. And she looked at me and said, honey, do you need my permission? And I said, maybe I do. She said, go ahead and do what you want to do and just be happy. It's fine. And so that's when I started a film career and I started writing and producing film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went up to LA and just switched up. Again, my life is about switching up, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. about change. Mm-hmm. And so I met the love of my life and uh, uh, who has since uh, departed this earth. And um, I had a wonderful time and uh, learned a craft. And uh, I just uh, never wanted to go back to the stage. It, it didn't interest me at all. And nor directing, not mm-hmm. directing either. 
I, I don't know. It just, yeah, I had a life of it since I was a kid. That's all I ever wanted to do. And I, you know, did my cycle. And again, didn't hang on to it because, uh, you know, I didn't need to hang on to it. I was interested mm -hmm. in other things. Yeah, this idea of, you know, this evolution when you're done, you're done. And mm -hmm. it's time to do the next thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that for some people is scary, but for me, it's just a, it's just a, a jump into another universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what's very clear is that you have a certain level of trust in your abilities. So you you know that you're going to land on your feet, even though you might be a little disoriented uh -huh. at first. You've done it so much that you know you're going to be able to figure it out. Yeah, I think so. Or I fake it till I make it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Mm -hmm. You know, but there, there are, you know, it's, I like the ebb and flow of life. I'm, a, I'm about energy. I'm all about energy. And, uh, I, I don't, you know, I don't have a belief system in the sense of a, you know, of a, you know, somebody that's watching over me in the universe. I believe in myself and my energy that, um, I feel the energy. I, I feel the spiritual energy. And uh, I think that's what true spirituality means is it tapping into your own energy and resources and you're you're the only one that takes care of your life you're the you have to make and i blogged about this many times about making good choices you have to make good choices for yourself and a lot of uh, listen not all of them have been great by the way but uh when they haven't been i've just boogied on out of them and just re uh, recalibrated mm -hmm. uh, what i have to do in life to make myself happy and to bring joy to my family, which I try to do um, most days, you know, be there for my boys. And I hope I'm there for my grandchildren when they need me. But um, this is something that's extremely important. And that's the energy and the ebb and flow of life and your, your, your spiritual love. So, you know, that's what I've learned from yoga and that's what I've learned from Buddhism and from the, uh, uh, a code of ethics and a code of behavior, uh, kindness, generosity of spirit that I think carries one through life. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about your dancing <laughs> and, and the, uh, you know, you're talking about energy and I'm, I'm guessing that there are certain people that you just really click with energetically or mm -hmm. whatever. And that, must look very different than dancing with someone who's not as good of a match in that in that realm. That's a really good point. Of I, I'm very perceptive. I might add, the the you know you don't always get the great uh, uh, connection uh, with people because either they don't dance at the level or the other is they don't hear the music the way you hear it. So I've been very blessed to understand music and I played piano for years and I, I listen to music and I understand music very well. I'm almost ahead of the music. And so when I find somebody that has that same energy about listening and knows the steps very well and creates on the dance floor, that's when, you know, magic takes place. Uh -huh. That's the word that just sprung to mind, how that must be magical. It's totally magical. It is a it's the high, you know, and in tango, you don't always get it. Um, a man has to be very skilled, super skilled 
to more so than the woman the man it's a very intensive lead follow dance the man leads the woman follows and it's all improvisational you oh. have about eight basic steps but they're all done improvisationally oh i did not know that oh yes it's extraordinarily complicated and um uh, and so two people are dancing, but they're dancing to music. And so you must know the music because if you don't understand the music, you'll never understand the dance and you won't be able to dance. How did you become familiar with this music as, um, as a uh, born in, in the States? I, my significant other, uh, was Hispanic and he, uh, had, was in the CIA for a time. And took, he took to his, he, 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 he won't be mad at me for saying it because, you know, he's, he's passed, but he used to do R&R, his rest, you know, R&R, uh, you know, your time off mm -hmm. in, in Argentina. And he had seen tango dancing because it took place in, you know, small little, uh, not a bordello. It started in bordellos, but in little places, restaurants. And so one day at the Pantages Theater, when, when, one week or one month, it was playing um, uh, a tango show called uh, Tango Por Dos, which is or tango times two. And I, he said, do you want to see it? And I said, yeah, of course. And the, after the show, I was, I couldn't leave the theater. It just, uh, I, I thought I had been hit by lightning and I was paralyzed. And I said to David, I'm going to dance with every one of those maestros and maestras. I'm going to take learn from every one of those maestros and maestros on that stage. Mm. And I, and I did. Mm -hmm. And at the time it was the nineties, uh, our early nineties. And, and, uh, my, I couldn't do anything then because I still had a high school, a, a boy in high school. And I waited until he graduated. And then I found the, went to, we moved, to, we were in, in uh, Pasadena and we moved to LA back to, back to West LA. And I found a dance studio. And uh, within the year I went to Buenos Aires. And learn mm. how it's done. It's that's very... the intention, right? You that's set it. that intention, and boy, did it! Yeah, <laughs> every yeah. every Tuesday night, every every Tuesday mm. night, it never. I never miss Tuesday night, and I never. And I started to go to what they call milongas, which is the gathering place of people to dance tango. And I sat and watched and watched and watched and watched the women and watched the men. And my intention was to be the very best follower. I could ever possibly be. I never learned the men's role. A lot of women do now. Mm -hmm. And I only thought that it was, I needed to be a follower. And so when I started to dance two-step, I danced to salsa, but I didn't like the music. And um, I didn't take ballroom because I didn't like that kind of look. You know, it was too, you know, stayed for me. And when I started to dance, uh, and I, I like country, country Western music. And I, when I started, my girlfriend taught it to me. She's a tango dancer, but she danced this two-step. And, and Zydeco and Cajun. And she taught me that all the dances and I would dance with her in the hall, in the halls, in the dance halls. And I learned from her. And then I, because I could follow really well, I became a good dancer in the community because I could follow. Mm. So it, it, it's, it's a, it was a wonderful way to create energy in my life, you know, outside of whatever else I was doing. Mm-hmm. So is that something you and David did together? No, no. I, I dragged him to lessons and he said, you know what? He said, it's for, <laughs> it's for you. I used to make him come to the Argentine Association with me. 
and he just talked, you know, he just spoke Spanish with all the Argentines. He just, you know, he hung out with me, but yeah. no, he, he encouraged me, told me to go to Buenos Aires. He told me that whatever I wanted to do that I should be able to do in this. And he was just, you know, that was his generosity of spirit was incredible. So, Did you ever cross paths with Christian Northrup? The physician, uh, she does a lot of writing. She's an OBGYN, and she's oh, she's written so many books. She's all about mind body, and she she's gone to Buenos Aires too to dance the tango. I never have run. Where's she from? What's uh, she? Uh, she lives, I believe, in Maine now, but she's. Uh, was located in Boston, and she talks about it. She is in her 70s now, and if you look her up, I will. Northrop, um, I think you're going to find a kindred spirit there because she, uh, she just talks poetically about what this has brought to her life. Yeah, it you know in a it, in a way you have to it, you're, it's a moving meditation like yoga is a moving meditation, mm-hmm. and the yoga and the tango went beautifully because I understood posture and I understood straight spines and I understood axes you know being balanced. Of course, as you age, you lose your balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most important thing to do is be you know, so present with your balance, and dance really helps with that. No matter what dance it is, uh, but I thought that this you know as I move through my life. I am so grateful for that that ability to find a kind of a metaphor for life in yoga and in tango, because it's a very, it's a spiritual connection as well as a physical connection. Now people think it's about, you know, it's sexual. No, it's not sexual. It is a connection of mind, body, spirit, uh, joined together by the music. And, um, if you think you're, you know, it's not a, it's not for hustle, you know, it's not for hustling dates or anything like that, because you lose then, you lose a lot of the essence of tango if that's your intention. I see. Mm-hmm. Do you have any last thoughts, Joan, you'd like to share with our listeners about, uh, you know, you've, you've talked a lot about change being your constant companion and being patient and and persistent. Is there anything else you'd you'd like to say before we close today? Somebody said to me once, just just recently, and he was um, an ex-boyfriend, and I don't know if he was saying it genuinely or sarcastically, but I liked the thought of it, which was, Wow, he said to me, you're operating, you're still operating on all cylinders. Mm -hmm. And I went, yeah, I am. And I thought that was a really good thing to think about. Mm -hmm. Operating on all cylinders. Mm -hmm. And not, and you have to resist inactivity Mm -hmm. and not and uh, and not being creative with your day. Every day you wake up and create your day. Mm-hmm. You know, I I um I did a motivational speech last month uh, in L.A. at um, a really wonderful uh, group for group of people, and they wanted me to speak on work life balance, which is what one of the things I used to speak on or still do if people want me to, and mindfulness both. 
And I thought, wow, this is a challenge, and this is going to be about two hours of speaking and, and, and putting it all together. And I thought, boy, this is a test for me. This is a challenge and a test. I'm up for it. I have the material, and I want the stamina that goes with it. And I thought, that's all cylinders. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, I know I'm an overachiever. I got that. But <laughs> I know people don't, people can't, can't get, they, they kind of shake their heads when they see me coming. But, <laughs> but, but, okay, but I have to deal with that. You know, that they don't have to deal with it. I have to deal with it. And mm-hmm. so I, I think that each person, according to his own, uh, being operate on all your cylinders with joy and resist uh, slink at our age resist slinking back into you know uh, a, an inactive state of mind body spirit keep it up mm-hmm. go take a go take a introduction yoga class take an easy yoga class take a, a walk around the lake mm-hmm. um I mean, not every. I still ride my bike. Not everybody does that, but you know, take a swim in the in the in the lake, or you know, create the day. As long as we're not working, you know, from nine to five, uh, make a new recipe. Uh, ask a friend over for dinner. I do that a lot. I ask somebody. I said, I, I need to cook for somebody. That's <laughs> that's important to me to make a dinner for somebody. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you know, it's. Uh, ask so, you know this it's a, I, I have this uh idea that what you're saying is really stay alive yeah yeah keep it going, keep it going. we we la- we live god willing and uh good genes a long time mm-hmm. and a po- even if you get let's say cancer let's you know which is common uh even if you get cancer and i've always prepared myself for this um the positive attitude that you you know embrace that illness with is healing it's it's so healing mm-hmm. that you will heal absolutely so that's uh in a, an enormous part of our work on earth is to take care of our bodies and our minds and our spirit that's our work why are we here you know and make it the best you can make it and always stay positive uh, about the, your human condition and be kind and help out a friend, mm-hmm. you know? That's lovely advice. I so appreciate your uh, your wisdom and your enthusiasm and your adventurous spirit. No, well, thank you. I try. <laughs> <laughs> it's been great, Nicole. Thank you yeah. so much for interviewing me. And... Uh, I hope I see you again in the universe. That sounds lovely. Yeah. Thanks, Joan. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. And please consider becoming a patron of the show. You will get access to exclusive bonuses, and you will be part of the Zestful Aging community. Keep us going strong. Go to patreon.com slash zestfulaging. 
See you next time for another episode of Zestful Aging.